Romans 16, turn to verse 17. Romans 16, turn to verse 17. And we'll be going up to verse 24. So we've got today and next week, and we're done with the book of Romans. Okay? Uh, who was at the church when we started Romans? You remember that, okay? Actually, a good amount of you. So um, we started Romans on Easter of last year. So a year and nine months ago, I think. Eight, nine months ago. So we've been in Romans, or seven months ago, whatever it is. It's been a long time, okay? We've been in Romans for a really long time. Here's where we're going. We're going to finish up Romans in two weeks. We'll have four weeks in an Advent series on the kingdom of God. We'll have three weeks of just kind of one-off sermons where we're going to talk to you and yell at you about some different things. And then we're going to jump into the book of Mark, okay? And we'll be in the Gospel of Mark for probably another year and a half, okay? And so that's just what we're doing. IV kids will probably come teach it, all right? And so uh, I know you guys do that little Mark camp. But um, so we're all going to Catalina. Um, Everyone who's not an IV is like, what are you doing? Okay. And so we'll be in Mark starting uh, kind of towards the end of January, and we're just going to kind of plod through that uh, with some other series like we did Romans. So just to give you a heads up on where we're at. Um, I want to recap, because we're in chapter 16, because we only have two weeks left in the book of Romans, let me give us a little background about where we're at today, okay? So in the first 11 chapters, we said Paul was laying out the gospel for us. Right, so chapters 1 through 11, here's what the gospel is, why you should believe it, why it's so great, it's beautiful, these are the issues with it, that type of thing, but here's the gospel. Then we saw in, in chapters 12 through 16, we were saying, okay, this is the outworking of belief in the gospel. So if we love this, if we believe 1 through 11, our lives need to be characterized by 12 through 16. Okay? So here's what we saw. Verse, uh, or chapter 12 um, was this idea that love serves. And so the different ways that, the lo- that our love for God serves both the church and the gospel. Okay? In chapter 13, we saw that love submits. And so we looked at submission to authority, submission to one another, submission to leaders. And so love submits. In light of the gospel, we submit to the gospel and to one another. Chapter 14, we saw, and 15, we saw that love unifies us. Okay? That in response to the gospel, we should be united, not bickering, not fighting with one another on debatable issues. And so love unifies. What chapter 16 does for us, and I think this is very intentional by Paul, is that love protects, okay? Love protects all of this because here's what I think is going on in Paul's head. He just wrote 15 chapters and he didn't think chapters, but he wrote this whole letter. He gets to the end of it and he's probably thinking the same thing that I'm thinking as we get to the end of the series a year and a half later. And it's, let us not forget all that God has done in our hearts and in our minds to make us more like Jesus, Okay, may we not just, just forget all the things that the Holy Spirit convicted us of and we lived out in response to. Because if we do, then I, I just know I become burdened with the fact that we did not hold close and protect the gospel and its work in our lives. And so what I think Paul's going to do here in chapter 16 in these last two weeks is really just pr- give us this idea and give us ways that we should protect the truth protect the gospel and protect our own hearts and everything that we've learned. That we would not lose it, that we would not stop loving, that we would not forget the gospel and on and on. That love indeed protects. Now, um, I played high school football and uh, I played for the, for the Titans and um, I played offensive line. So um, that's, that's the bigger, so if you're like my wife, that's the bigger guys. Okay, so I was one of the bigger guys right up front. There's this thing called, uh, well, there's thing called passing, which all of you know. Um, so when, when the quarterback, 
Who's the guy? Okay, never mind. When you pass the football, the big guys are supposed to stop the other team from, from getting to the quarterback, that type of thing, right? And so I'm there, and so when the ball would get snapped and we were passing, you get into pass protection, you're blocking guys, you're keeping guys off the quarterback, that type of idea. And so as I was thinking about this deal, I was thinking, okay, when, when I did not do my job, when I did not protect the quarterback, listen, our team did not do well. Right, so if we were trying to accomplish this goal, we were trying to pass, trying to move the ball down the field, and I blew my assignment, I did not protect him the way I was supposed to, then the entire team was affected. Okay, that the whole team suffered from the fact that I blew my assignment. And, and I want to get us to this point today that we, we step out of our individualism and we realize how united we actually are. And the reality is, is that when one of us doesn't protect the gospel, it's not just affecting you, it's affecting all of us. When one, when one church does not protect the gospel, it doesn't just affect their church, it affects God's church across the world. We are that interconnected with one another. And we have to get this. Because I think what happens to us in the moment, we are pretty good with self-protection, we'll take care of ourselves, but we're so, we're so focused on us that we think, okay, well, this is only going to affect me. So, so I, can, you know, I, can, I can shimmy this way and I, and I can, I can leave, leave a little bit to the side. I don't really love that the Bible says this and so I'm not, I'm not going to jump into that. This doesn't seem that popular so I don't want people to judge. And so we set these different things to the side until we land with a gospel that's more palatable for ourselves and think, okay, well, it's just me. That's just my relationship. It's no big deal. I just want us to know as we jump into this that we are far too connected as God's body. Okay, we are far too connected as his people to live and walk in this individualistic, the gospel is just for me mindset. I think that this stuff preaches and will actually change us. I know it actually changes me when I begin to think about you guys. I'm serious. So as I was thinking about preaching this this week and I'm thinking about, okay, what are the things that I, I know, this is what the Bible says, I'm going to stick to this. But then I realized, man, I, but I hate that people attack me for these things, right? So there's this flinch in me to just want to just give up on some of the harder doctrines of the faith. Okay. But then I stop and I think about our people. And I think about my staff. I think about my wife. I think about my kid. And I begin to realize that, listen, if I begin to compromise, it's going to affect everybody here. And the same actually goes for you. Because that's just the way that sin works. Okay, it just gets a little bit in there and then it starts seeping in and all of a sudden it's taken over the whole dough. That type of idea. Okay, so again, I want us, because I, I feel like if we, if, if we don't get the communal aspect of this, you will just hear today, well, this is about me and I'll figure it out for myself. Notice how interconnected we are. Now, here's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at how as a church we are called to protect the gospel and protect the people of God, okay, from uh, from false doctrine, from false teachers, and lastly, from ourselves. Okay? Protect the gospel from false doctrine, false teachers, and from ourselves. Verse 17, let's get going. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Okay, here's, listen, Paul uses the, these words at the start of a lot of moments throughout the, throughout the letter to the Roman church. He's saying, listen, I appeal to you. In other words, listen up, pay attention. This is important. Everything I've said is good, but pay attention. This is how much worth he's given this. It's a big deal. 
You see, there's going to be some people, and we'll get to false, false teachers, false prophets in just a moment, but there's going to be some people and they're going to come in and they're going to begin to distort the gospel. They're going to begin to teach things that are not true to the gospel, that are different from everything that you've read in Romans, that are different from everything that you get from the full counsel of Scripture. This is happening. And so watch out. Be vigilant. Don't be naive and to think that this is not actually going on. That there are people who are seeking to distort and destroy the good news of Jesus. Right? Ultimately, the things in your life that you protect the most, that you care for the most, that you're most careful with, are the things that you love the most. Not a lot of people would debate that, right? So my wife and son, I mean, they are they're top of the list. Right? If anything's going down, I will find a way to protect them. Closest friends are in their family, that type of thing, and on down the line to, to people that, you know, I'm like, well, they died, no big deal. Okay? Just kidding. Um, but the reality is we protect those and we pre- protect the things that we love the most. Hopefully, what Paul has done for us and the gospel has done for us and the Holy Spirit has done for us is that for the first 15 chapters of this book, for the last year and a half as we've delved into the gospel, my hope is is that we as a church have fallen more in love with Jesus. My, my, my hope is, is not that you just see this as legalism and see this, okay, we need to do this, we need to protect things, I'm, gonna, you know, I'm just going to get strong, I'm going to get my shield you know, and just go out and start shooting people. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that if you love the gospel... If you've seen Jesus, our hearts should be so inclined to Him, should love Him to the point that there is nothing in the world that we would want to protect more than it. And that is a tough call. I, I mean, I feel like I've been walking, I mean, I've been in this, this Christian game now for, for 10, 11, 12 years, and I still just struggle, man. When I was coming to this text, I was thinking, okay, well, the Bible tells me I need to protect this. I'm going to be very guarded. I'm going to be very careful with it. I'm not going to let people intrude on it. But I wondered, what was my motivation? Was my motivation a love for the gospel? Because if it's not, it just becomes about me again. But if it's looking back on everything that God has done, this story, this beautiful story that God has crafted, that from the very beginning we blew it. And in that moment, From Genesis 3 on, God, the one who created us, created the world, has been on a rescue mission to win us back and did so through his own son. The gospel is an incredible story and demands the most affection we can give anything. And I think if we get there, then this becomes easy. Because you will naturally protect the things in life you love the most. And so we are going to protect good, sound doctrine. We're going to protect the gospel. And so here's some things. Um, here's some things that don't warrant division, if that makes sense. Things, okay, so if we're going to protect the gospel, the reality is, is that the only time that division occurs is when some people believe in a false doctrine while other people do not. Okay, so division exists when a false doctrine is presented... Okay? And then some people believe it and some people don't. So then division enters in between the two because you've got right and you've got wrong. And so there's fighting. Here's some things that we should not divide over. Debatable matters, which is what we covered in Romans 14. Those are different things. You can go back and listen to that. Here's another one. Eschatology. We shouldn't debate over end times. Or we shouldn't, you can debate about it. You don't divide over it. Right? We don't divide on where you land on eschatology. 
on paedo-baptism versus believer's baptism, on Calvinism versus Arminianism, on free grace versus lordship salvation, on dispensationalism versus covenant theology, all of these different big words. We don't divide, are they important? Absolutely, we don't divide over them. Here's the one thing the church is supposed to divide over, okay? And it's the gospel. So if there's anything where God's saying, okay, if you're, if you're going to say no and you're going to d- be in a, device, in a divisive relationship with other people in this room, it better be because of the gospel. In other words, if there's someone in here and he comes in and he says, well, this is, this is actually what the gospel is, and this is what's happening, we're going to get to it in just a moment. This is happening in Paul's time, it's happening in our time. If people come and say, this is what the gospel is, and you've got a buddy who jumps in and says, yeah, I'm fully on board, and you're saying, but wait a minute, wait a minute, this is not what Scripture says, this is not what the gospel is. Listen, that is a reason for division. We divide over the gospel, we don't divide over these other matters. Because the gospel is that important. Because the gospel is that important, it is the one thing that Paul will allow us to divide over. Okay, nothing else. And we've got to get that, okay? <clears throat> Excuse me. So, here's how I think we protect good doctrine. I think it's by, one, rejecting what isn't there, okay? So a lot of false doctrine comes through the form of adding things to Scripture, to make it make more sense or be more palatable for the listener. And so they'll take the Bible, they'll say, okay, there's, there's this, there's Jesus, but let me sprinkle and add some other stuff to make this make more sense for my cultural worldview. Okay, we reject that. We protect doctrine, okay, we protect good theology when we reject the additions. Okay. We also protect good doctrine when we embody what it is. Okay. So not just reject what's not there, but rather embrace and embody what is. So it's not simply just, okay, I'm going to watch out for these things, I'm going to say no to these things. It's really about us being a church, being a people, being Christians that also say yes to what Scripture tells us to do. Paul's going to talk about their obedience later, I think it's all tied together, that when we say yes and embody the commands of Scripture, it makes it far harder for it to be distorted because you're experiencing it, you're living it, and people are seeing it, and it becomes evident to the people of God, this is what is true. So we reject what's not there, and we embody what is. We'll protect the doctrine of God. The next part, 17c and 18. So for these people, it says, avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. So protect the gospel from false teachers. And, and every time I, I used to read this, and even when I was reading it this week, I have this vision of like Smeagol. Like, that, like when I picture that, like, I just picture slimy, right? And, I, and it's like just kind of flattery and deceiving and just wiggling his way into your room. And like, what are you doing here? You're Smeagol. And that's just me. That's just my thing, right? The reality is, is the reality is, is it usually comes in the form of something far less ominous and obvious, okay? So instead it comes in the form of like a Ryan Gosling, right? I mean, it's just like, hey, hey girl. I'm in a meme, you know what I mean? This is what the gospel is, okay? What, what Paul's saying, and, and, and uh, Jesus says this in Matthew 7, right? He says, no, no, no beware, 
beware, because there's people, and guess what? And they're, they're dressed like sheep, but they're actually wolves. They're actually ravenous wolves. And this is Paul on the tail end of preaching the Sermon on the Mount. So what he just did, here, Jesus comes in, he preaches the Sermon on the Mount, says, this is the ethic, this is what the people of God are to live like, much like what Paul has done in the last four chapters, right? This is what the people of God should look like in loving the gospel. We live this out, right? Beware. Because there's some who will dress like sheep, but they're actually wolves, and will come to seek to destroy that which has been built. They'll come to look to distort the gospel. And we can't let that happen. Because the gospel is too good. Because it's too good for us, it's too good for the world, it's too good for God's glory, on and on and on. We cannot allow this to happen. And so we protect the church and the gospel from false teachers. Um, and here's the, this is nothing new. This is something that the people of God have had to battle and, and really God himself has had to combat since the beginning. So Jeremiah 14, God dealing with Israel and their stubbornness and some of their false prophets. He says this, the Lord said to Jeremiah, the prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I did not send them, nor did I command them or speak to them. They are prophesying you a lying vision, worthless divination, and the deceit of their own minds. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who prophesy in my name, although I did not send them. So here we go. If you're here, okay, and you're Matthew 7, like you're here and you're a wolf and you know it, and, and, and a lot of you might be thinking, why would he even say that? Because I've been in the church, I've been in it enough, and we've had them, okay? And so if you're here, I'm just saying, this is what, this is what God says. And this is the Old Testament, I know, so there might be a little more grace, but I'm not really sure. He says this, Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who prophesy my name, although I did not send them, and who, say, so, and who say sword and famine shall not come upon this land. By sword and famine those prophets shall be consumed. And the people to whom they prophesy shall be cast out into the streets of Jerusalem, victims of famine and sword, with none to bury them, their wives, their sons, and their daughters, for I will pour out their evil upon them. Okay. This is heavy. God, in passing this word to Jeremiah to keep his people holy, to keep his mission centered, to keep his gospel story proclaimed and not distorted, he gets very serious. I will cast down the evil upon them. That which they are sowing, they will reap in full. God is very serious about this. And so we've got to be serious about this. And I, honestly, I don't think we're that serious about it. Uh, even as I was reading this this week, it just was like, yeah, there's some false prophets out there. They're teaching some stuff, but we'll be all right. I don't, man, it just seems like God seems to be like, no, beware, watch out, be vigilant. This stuff will distort and destroy people's relationship with God. And that's just something we should care about. Okay. And so what I want to do is look at some, um, some false teachers that were deceiving the Roman church. Uh, at the time, they had the Judaizers, which we've talked about in Romans before, okay, but these were essentially people that were saying that there was salvation that came through faith, but also works. Okay? So you had to continue to maintain a lot of the Old Testament law in order for you to be saved, to be his child. The next were the Docetists, who said that Jesus was not fully man. Okay? That he was a spiritual being, and henceforth, he was not actually fully man. He only appeared to be physically there, but was not. And so he was not actually physically crucified. Because if that were true, then God would be evil because he just killed his son. Okay? Not true. They're also dealing with the Gnostics, which had a very dualistic view. Okay? 
pretty much saying that Jesus was not divine. He was just a man begotten by God, lived on this earth, and then upon his baptism that we see throughout the four Gospels, in that moment as the dove descends upon Jesus, he then becomes divine. So he was not divine, but then becomes divine, along with many other things that were not accurate with the Gnostics. You also had the asceticists, which are, man, they just hated the material world and believed that everything that was created that was not man was actually evil. And so what they would do is actually destroy everything and themselves. They'd punish themselves. They would do different things in order that they would uh, purge themselves of this material brokenness and evil because everything was bad. And then they were also lastly dealing with the antinomians, which had a separation of body and soul. And so this what this meant, and I see this a lot in our world today, unfortunately, is that they were saying that your body is separate from your soul, and because of that, you can feel free to do whatever you want to on this earth because your soul is separate and secured and saved by God. And so, listen, go out, do whatever you want, right? I mean, just, just sin it up, live it up because your soul is always secure in God. Okay. This is unfortunately, I think, practically lived out a lot of times in our church today. No, I'm saved. I don't know if we would separate the two. We probably don't get into the theological level that do. We don't, but we'd separate, uh, we wouldn't separate the two as much, but we would say, okay, well, I'm saved here, so let me just do whatever I want over here. And so this is just then, this is, this is the Roman church. This is what Paul's talking about. He's like, listen, these things will begin to eat away at the truth of the gospel to the point that all of a sudden the world, whom we're supposed to be proclaiming this gospel to, will not know what to believe. Okay? And if that is not so true for the world we live in today, that when I talk to a non-Christian here in Flagstaff, they, they have 27 different ideas about what Christianity is. Right? They have 50 different ideas about what the gospel is. They have no idea how to sift through all of this stuff because we've just let it become rampant. It's not that big a deal. It's only going to affect me. I'm not going to worry about it. We need to protect the gospel and the church from false teachers. Here's some today. Okay? Oneness Pentecostals. Okay? Oneness Pentecostals which say that faith is necessary for salvation, but so is baptism, and so is the uh, evidence for the presence of the Holy Spirit, which is most evidenced through the, pre- the, the, the use of tongues. And so if you do not speak in tongues, you are not a Christian. That is not okay and not what the Bible says. Again, adding something on there. We have Judaizers in our day as well, right, that, that add on things, add on works. We have to earn this, that type of deal. Um, this one might ruffle some feathers, but honestly, Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, okay? False doctrine, false teachers. They don't believe Jesus is God. That's a problem, okay? That's a problem with the Bible. I mean, even, even the, the Bible recognizes, it says, man, who is this man who can forgive sin? Only God can do that. Right, and Jesus is forgiving sin throughout the wholeness. You throw out his divinity, you throw out the gospel. Okay. Next is, this one's a little more lighthearted, but there was this guy named Jose Luis de Jesus Miranda, who uh, in 1973, at the ripe old age of, I think, like 35 or 40, became Jesus. Okay. So it became the second coming of Jesus. And so it was much uh, what we call uh, adoptionism. In other words, uh, in the same way that, that Jesus became divine at his baptism, this man became divine in this random moment in 1973. And then he claimed to be the second coming of Jesus whilst living in Florida, okay? Which, I don't know why that matters, but 
You can't be Jesus and live in Florida. Um, but in 1970, so, and here's the thing. He had a church of 2,000 people and had a following of millions worldwide. This guy claiming to be Jesus. Around 2007, he also claimed to be the Antichrist. Okay? At the same time. Okay? That's an issue. But here's the thing. Like, we, we kind of hear about this. We're like, listen, there's this guy who claimed to be the second coming of Jesus, okay? But life was filled with sin, and you just, you just spend some time hearing this guy, and it's like, well, that, that can't be true. And, uh, and yet, here we go. 2,000 local followers, millions of followers. Why? Because, listen, we, we're just deceived like that. Because the gospel gets distorted. It sounds good. Everyone, listen, I would love if Jesus was just sitting in, fro, in, you know, in row one, just hanging out with us right now. It would be terrifying to preach with Jesus here. He'd just be like, no, that's wrong, right? I'd be like, fine, you do it, you know. And, but I love that, right? And so they, they're craving this. Man, okay, I can be with the second coming of Jesus. And so, again, it sounds good, and so people are swayed. It's, it's really, it happens. And a lot of us would sit here and say, when I would never fall for that. That's just not true. We're all equally susceptible to stupid decisions, amen? Okay. The next one is uh, Christian universalists. They say there's no hell and that everyone will be saved. Okay? No hell, everyone will be saved. Unitarian Universalists, all faiths are equally true, and Christ is not the only way to God. Not accurate. Okay? Not what the Bible says. Not sound doctrine. Okay? And then, um, prosperity gospel. And this one's, this one, and this one's like a hot button one for me. Okay? Because I know a lot of people around the world that are being sold this gospel that says, listen, if, if you believe in Jesus, your life will be blessed. You will receive wealth. You will, receive, you will get out of poverty. You will get on everything you've ever asked for. Just believe and you're there. Man, that is destroying millions of lives around the world. Okay? It's false. Okay? Um, there's the Gnome Village, which is out there. I don't know what that is. That's got to be some type of cult. Um, and apologies that it smells like B.O. We don't know what's going on with that thing. We didn't put it up, although someone claimed it was our nativity scene. <laughs> but um, it's not. Okay. Listen, anything, hear me, anything contradictory to the gospel that we've just talked about for the last year and a half is not right. Anything that is different from the gospel that we've just spent a year and a half breaking down, talking about, and engaging with it's not right. And we need to be aware, we need to be vigilant, and we need to keep from those lies. Okay? Protect the church and protect the gospel because it's, it's not just about us. It's about his kingdom and his glory across the world. Okay? Verse 19, the last part, we've got to protect it from ourselves. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. So here's Paul, and I love this. He's rejoicing over the Roman church. He gets to the end of this letter, and he looks back. He's like, listen, I've told you all this stuff, and this might have come across, and I felt this too. Okay, this might have come across as, you guys are terrible, and you're blowing it left and right, so live this way. Okay? And I've felt that at times where I've just been, we've been just hammering, especially over the last four or five chapters, like, this is what life looks like. This is what the Christian does. Stop doing that, you know. And, and I want you to know in the same, thing, the same way that Paul does, Paul is rejoicing over 
the church in Rome. I rejoice, our staff rejoices. Hopefully you guys rejoice over what God is doing in our community. It's fantastic. I mean, like, again, and I think Anthony shared this last week, but there, there's going to be a few tables and all the announcements I did, there's stuff being run by and set up by people in our church. This isn't even stuff that we're having to put together. Just people in our church saying, okay, I want to be obedient to the call of the gospel, to love our city, to love people, to share about Jesus. And so they're saying, okay, how can I do that? I'm going to pack some boxes and send them across the world to let kids know that they're valuable. Okay? I'm going to put on a dinner so that people can come, families who would not have, they can now have and engage with people to show them they are loved, they are important, and not forgotten about. All of these different, I mean, there's so many great stories. We've had, what have we had, like, I don't know, like 11 bake sales in the last month or whatever for different people who are saying, listen, just in my life, we got social work, social work program, we had JD launching a, what, a, a ministry to the native population at NAU last week. I mean, just, you guys are doing it, and it makes us so excited. I rejoice that I get to be your pastor. That said, that said, same thing Paul hopes for his people is what I hope for us. Okay. Same thing that Paul hopes for, his, for, for Rome, I hope for us, and it's that, um, that we'd be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. Wise to what is good, that we would fall in love, that we would learn, that we would grow with the gospel. Okay. That we would just really just jump in, dive in, grow, seek Jesus, fall in love with Jesus, make much of Jesus. That, that, would, just, that would just mark us, that we'd be in love with what is good. And then in the midst of that, man, that we would, we'd be innocent as to what is evil. That we would keep ourselves far from the things that would seek to tear down all that good. That we'd be, we'd be careful where we walk, careful what we say, what we believe. We'd question things when they seem a bit off. We would talk and live in community with one another to ask good questions about what does the Bible actually say about this. These are important things. Just one quick nugget for us. Okay, one quick nugget for us. Um, I'm reading this book, and uh, it's called Move. And it's a really good book if, if, you, if you guys want to start a church. And... Uh, <laughs> Bill Hybels over at Willow Creek, okay, they got together, and this was about 10 years ago, and they did a big survey over their whole church, and they, they asked really just one question, and it was, um, well, a few questions, but really one was, really stood out, and it was, you know, what, is, uh, what has been the most important thing we've done or tool in your life to move you towards spiritual growth, Okay. And so they got back all of these results, and the hardest result that they heard, heard back is of the 20,000 people there, 80% or more did say that they did not have a vibrant relationship with Jesus, did not love God, or did not feel like they had grown in the past year. This was heavy for their church. And we're supposed to be discipling people, moving closer to Jesus, and then all of a sudden, a year in, and, and all these people, no growth, nothing, don't love Jesus, what are we doing wrong? And they found out that the number one thing that moved people closer to God was being in His Word. Listen, more than any other program, more than any other community group, more than any other thing that we can do as Christians, get into the Word of God. Read the Bible. We don't want to get legalistic and say, hey, listen, if you don't read the Bible every day, God's not going to love you. That's not there, but what is there is the reality that the Bible is good and sufficient and teaches us and shapes us and the Holy Spirit illuminates us to make us more like Christ. 
And so I think, especially for like the millennial generation, even what, like some Gen X or Y or whatever, for our generation, there's this kind of like, I don't have to do it every day. It's the, you know, I know what it says. No, no, no. Get into the Bible. I firmly believe that they're right. That there might not be a better thing. That, and I'm going to throw in prayer with that too. I think getting in, so I think the Bible moves us to prayer. If you're learning stuff, you've got to talk to God about it. Just a nugget for us. Because if we're gonna if we're gonna try and protect the gospel, we gotta know what the gospel is. If we're gonna try and protect the church, we gotta know what the church is. If we're gonna try and protect what God is doing and the mission He wants for our city, we have to get into the Word and see what that mission is. What is He calling us to? Who are we supposed to be? What does that look like? Read your Bibles. If you don't know how, and listen, there was a t- I was a Christian for years before someone came in and taught me actually how to read this sucker. Lynn, do that. Let I'll hang out with any one of you, and let's just get into the Scripture together. I mean, if we have time. Let us protect the gospel from ourselves. Okay. Um, I'm going to use a breaking bag quote because it's a phenomenal show. Um, all right, I'm blanking on his name. What's the guy's name? Walter White. Okay. Walter White. Okay. He's sitting there and his wife says to him, he says, because he's just going off the rails at this point, and his wife says to him, he says, Walter. What business are you in? Are you in the meth business or are you in the money business? And his response, and I think it's very poignant and, and a revealing of the hearts of man. He says, I'm in neither. I'm in the empire business. Okay. I think we are, and as Anthony said last week, we are prone to building our own kingdoms. Okay. We are prone to making much of ourselves. Okay. We are prone to see these little things and always want more. And I think the reality is in this moment that we will allow ourselves to be tickled by little ideas and, and, and fudge just a little bit this direction because it will allow for us to have greater personal gain. Whether that be, man, in a public setting or in a very private setting, you just feel better about yourself. Okay. We are prone to care about our kingdom before God's kingdom. And when we do that, it's ourselves that are destroying the gospel. It's ourselves that are getting in the way. And we need to repent. And we need to get around people that are going to hold us to and be accountable to the gospel and to scripture. Okay. And so we need to protect ourselves or we need to protect the gospel. We need to protect the church okay, from false doctrine, false teachers, and even ourselves. Let's land here with verse 20 and 21. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you. And the Lord Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greet you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quarctus, greet you. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Okay. He doesn't laugh at Quarctus. It's a funny name. Quarctus. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Here's where we're landing. And it's with the gospel. Shocker, right? This takes us all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. Okay. Sin enters the word. The fall, the fall happens as we call it. And then we get what we call the proto-evangelion. The first gospel. 
all the way back in the start of Genesis, what you have is you have God going to man and saying, okay, guess what? Here's what's going to happen. He's speaking to the serpent, to the little snake. And, and I've got to say this because my wife said this week, but uh, did you guys ever raise a snake as just a tail with a face? Which I thought was really funny. Um, and so you've got this snake, right? And you've got this serpent embodying, embodied by Satan. And God says to him, listen, the offspring of this woman is going to crush you. He is going to crush you. You will not win. And so Paul, playing off of that from Genesis 3, brings it and reminds us in the midst of all... Listen, this is, this is a hard text. This is scary stuff. Protect the gospel? Who am I to do that? I mean, like, what is that? At the end of the day, you can do it because of the grace of Christ. And because the reality is, we protect the things in life that we love the most, and so does God. Okay? We protect the things in life we love the most, and so does God. And so God protects His people. God protects His creation. God protects His story. We need not live in fear or worry. We're going to mess this up. What happened? No, no. God protects us through the gospel. And so in the midst of all of this, here's my, my, my final push for us. Okay? Just live and love the gospel. Because as you do this, as this walk out, God is going to protect us. God is going to protect his story. God is not going to allow his gospel to get messed up. Jeez, if you look at the lineage of Jesus, it was filled with a bunch of people who made terrible decisions. God protects his word. And God protects his gospel. Might we fall in love with it and join him in his mission to continue to protect it as well and share it with those around us. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for giving us the assurance of... um, of grace. God, that frees us from wanting to build our own kingdom. God, that you've set up a far better option for us. Lord, thank you that you protected what you love most. God, you protected your people. You protect us. You love us. You protect us. You love your story. You protect your story. You love the gospel. And so you protect the gospel. God, in all ways, we always seek to just live out and embody you, to be like you, to emulate you. I pray that this would be no different. That we would be, in many ways, just ferocious in our defense and in our protection of your true story. Because it is the story that is saving people. God, it's the story that is redeeming broken relationships. God, it's the good news that is pulling people out of addiction. God, it's the amazing story that is blessing billions worldwide with grace and hope in a graceless and hopeless culture. God, would we understand the depths of the gospel? Would we love it? And God, out of a response, would you allow the Holy Spirit to continually to convict us to do whatever it takes to protect it? 
God, thank you that um, each of us here that love Christ, that know Jesus, are recipients of people who've gone before us who have protected the gospel, who've, who've not allowed it to just become something it isn't, who haven't allowed it to become something that was focused on us instead of you. God, we're recipients of their obedience. God, may we be just as obedient. God, for your glory, for your mission, God, and for this world. Thank you for the city of Flagstaff. Thank you for those here who don't love you, who don't know you yet. God, would they know that you've protected your story throughout all the ages when everyone's tried to destroy it. You've kept it. God, you've proclaimed it. You're calling us to live it. God, that they would see and know the love of Jesus. And so, Lord, would you do amazing things today as we worship, as we reflect on you. God, save, redeem, restore, and transform us. God, to be like your Son, who sacrificed everything to protect the gospel, that we would be recipients of life. It's your name we pray. Amen.